you know what? No more excuses. I will willingly choose God's fame above my own. I will stop acting as if I am the center of the world. I will look at my apathy straight in the face and demand that it leave. No more excuses. I will both admit my addictions and cry out to the healer. I will refuse to allow the enemy to continue stealing my joy. I will stop worrying about what everyone around me is thinking. No more excuses. I will turn my heart back again. I will listen hard to the whispers of his spirit, and I will proclaim the wonders of his never-ending love. No more excuses. No games. No pretending. No hiding. No dead religion. No more excuses. Period. No more excuses. This is our final week in this series, No More Excuses. We've been looking at six common excuses. They're destructive patterns and the best defense to erasing these excuses. The six excuses are, I can't forgive them. I can't give more. I can't tell that. I can't change now. I can't commit to one more thing. And I can't ask God for that. Again, everywhere we look, every place we go, every conversation we hear is filled with excuses. They are there when we need them and we reach for them far too often, yet none of us want to admit that these excuses are masking our laziness, our self-doubt, and just giving up way too easy. Our excuses are driving us to failure because they let us take the easy way out. Our main point throughout this entire series has been the best defense against excuses is an offensive line of whys. Ask yourself why. When you do something or don't do something, ask yourself why. Know the reason. Why can't I choose to forgive them even if they don't deserve it? Why am I more concerned about what others think than what God thinks? Why is that activity more important than this activity? Why do I feel my needs are more important than other people's needs? Why haven't I changed? And why can't I trust God to ask for this? When we develop those solid answers to these why questions, it will be the greatest defense to erasing our excuses. So today I want to wrap up this series by digging into this last excuse, why can't I ask God for that? So grab that sermon outline, that sermon note page we just handed out, and a pen, and I want to do a little lesson right now. Write down three things that you'd like to ask God for right now. Three things that you'd like to ask God for right now, or that you have been asking God for right now. I feel like I should have had that Jeopardy music or something. Do, 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 do. No? Three things. You guys are getting serious looks on your faces. Three things you'd like to ask God for right now. And if you're listening online 
or to the podcast, go get your piece of paper, get a pen, write down three things you'd like to ask God for right now. I'd like to ask God for a little bit warmer weather for a little bit longer so I can ride my motorcycle a little bit longer. I'd like to ask God for a couple more inches in height so I can wear flat shoes all the time and feel comfortable. I'd like to ask God for a money system that's obsolete so that we can always shop whenever we want to and never have any bills to pay. Okay, so you wrote down your three things. Now write down three things that you would have written down if you didn't feel guilty about writing them down. Write down three things you really wanted to write down, but as you started to write them down, you felt too guilty to write that down. I really would like a bigger wardrobe. I really would like a few more pairs of shoes. I don't know why. Why do I like shoes so much? And the handbags to go with the shoes. I think I would really like a car. A nice car. Did you write down those things? Come on, I know. See, you feel too guilty to even write them down, don't you? Stop it. Put the guilt aside. Write down three things that you want to write down, but you felt too guilty to ask for. Okay, got, got those things now written down? Now, circle your top three choices. You would request if I could guarantee you will receive them with no guilt attached today. Circle the top three. I could guarantee their answer for you today with no guilt attached. Go ahead, circle those top three. Give me a head nod when, you, when you're all done. You're all done. Are you still writing those three that you felt too guilty to write? Okay, we'll keep writing. You got your top three? Got your top three? Now I want you to just sit and think a second. Look at those top three, the ones you circled. Look at them. Start to really dream about them being fulfilled today. Go ahead. Let yourself go there. Dream for a second. Look at that list. The Bible, there's a word that always pops up in the Bible, usually through the Psalms, that says Selah. Pause and think. Let's just Selah. Let's just pause and think for a minute. Those three things you circled are going to be fulfilled today. What's happening right now inside of you? Think about it. When you begin to think upon your honest request and the possibility of God answering and fulfilling them, hope begins to rise within you. Your faith begins to grow. Expectancy is almost like that 
when you're about ready to take a bite of that nice big chocolate cake, if that's your one thing that you really like and your mouth almost starts watering for or a big juicy steak, expectancy starts almost making you feel that thing or touch that thing or sense that thing. All these things are happening inside you. But when you don't even ask, what's there to hope for? What good does faith do you? What are you really expecting if you don't even ask? Faith is superior reasoning because it is anchored in eternity. Faith isn't obsolete. Faith isn't the opposite of reality. Faith is superior reasoning because it's anchored in eternity. We have to live by faith to live victoriously. We are commanded to walk by faith, not by sight. But if we don't even ask, what good is faith? What will hope do for you? What are you expecting? Here it is. Our reasoning is either we feel like it's too selfish, it's too small to bother God with, or it's my problem. I can't ask God to help me now. I'm the one that caused this problem. But think back when you were first saved. Didn't you ask God for everything? I mean everything. Nothing was too selfish. Nothing was too small. And you didn't care if you caused the problem. You still asked God for it. When you were first saved, you asked for everything. I remember when Brian and I was first married, first saved, I loved sneaking around and blessing people so that they didn't know it was me. But I loved doing things like that. And in doing things like that, we had very limited resources. We had one red couch, one, what was that, a six-inch black and white? Nine-inch, he, he remembered, nine-inch black and white TV and one super single waterbed. So we had limited resources. Oh, and by the way, yeah, when we set up our apartment when we got married, you know, I went and got as many groceries as I could and had stocked the kitchen and getting ready. And the Lincolns and my family thought it was funny that they went and trashed our apartment while we were gone on our honeymoon and pulled all the labels off all of our cans in our cupboards. So limited resources was usually as like open up the can, whatever we open up is what we're having for dinner today. Oh, hmm, bean soup, you know? Limited resources. So every time I tried to bless people and go do things, it was with limited resources. Well, one of the things I wanted to do was my mom always, for some reason, had a pile of clean clothes that she ironed Probably once a month, she took the whole day and ironed. So I knew that pile was there. Had the time, and I thought, I know where they hide the spare key. I'm going to sneak over there, take the whole day while she's gone at work, and I'm going to iron all those clothes. And my mom's a stickler. I guess I am now, too. I don't iron without starch. Everything has to be ironed with starch, that spray can. Anyway, I started, I maybe got to the second shirt, and the little nozzle, popped off the can. And I'm looking, and I'm on the, my hands and knees on the kitchen floor, looking all, I must, it felt like a half hour, probably, you know, five minutes. 
looking everywhere for that nozzle because I was in fear. I didn't have the money to go buy more starch. They lived out in the country anyway, so it's, it's a big chore to get to town when you live out in the country. And I remember sitting there thinking, it's done. I can't even do this now. What? You know, I used the gas to come out here to, to bless him. No, I can't even do it. And I sat there on the kitchen floor thinking, you know, what happened, God? I was so excited about helping them, and I just felt like pray. Of course I'm praying. Why wouldn't I pray? So I started praying, oh, God, please show me where this little nozzle is to this starch can so I can finish and show me. And I am serious. The minute I opened my eyes, it was right in front of me. Months was the testimony in church. I didn't care how many people heard it. They were going to hear it again. I have a testimony, Pastor, this week. He's like, is it the same one? Yes! God answered my prayer. He revealed the starch nozzle to me right in front. He, it was a miracle. Raise this from the depths of, you know, the kitchen floor right in front of me. We prayed about everything. When you were newly saved, didn't you pray about everything? What happened? Why did you stop praying for everything? What happened? Today I want to rid us of the idea that we can only ask God for some things. So turn with me over to Luke chapter 11. I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation. Luke chapter 11, familiar scripture where Jesus is teaching the disciples and others on how to pray, and then he goes into this in verse 5. It says, Then teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. He said, suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight, at midnight, wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit, and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me, the door is locked for the night, and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this. Though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. And so I tell you, this is red letters, this is Jesus saying that, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give him a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg Do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? There's two secrets hidden here. The first one is shameless persistence. See, I believe that 
the reason we stop asking is because we become prideful. We become uh, self, uh, we're taking care of ourselves. We're, we're taking care of, the, oh, we can do that, oh, we can do that, oh, we. So we don't need to keep asking. Even though when we were first Christians, we knew there was a desire in us to ask for everything. Over time in our Christian life, when we should be growing to ask for even more and more things, we go the opposite way. He's encouraging you to have a shameless persistence. Keep asking. It doesn't matter if you could go out and get it done yourself. Ask God for it. Because maybe what you're going out to do is not even what he wants you to do. If you ask him, maybe he'll give you something else to go do. Shameless persistence. There's nothing we can't ask God for. Stop taking care of yourself. Brian and I had the conversation this morning about his boot, his work boot. He's got a, is that a hole in one of the soles you talked about? It's just worn out. So he's, okay, who's can, we're going to have to either get new boots or we're going to have to go find somebody to fix this. And I started thinking, you know, well, it's not in the budget this week or next week or next month, you know, so you can't get a new pair of boots and really can't even afford, depending on how much it is, to get it fixed. I said, so pray. I said, why don't we pray for that? If, he, if God can lead an entire nation in the wilderness for 40 years and their sandals never wear out, why can't we ask for that today? I would like my shoes to not wear out. If I'm being a good steward of my money, isn't that the first thing I should do? Ask God. God, put a blessing on these boots or these shoes that they don't wear out. I got a hole in my soul. Fix the hole, God. Why don't we pray for these things? A shameless persistence. The second secret found in this scripture is that God, listen, at the end there when he talked about you fathers, if you know your child asks for a fish, you're not going to give them a steak. If they ask for an egg, you're not going to give them a scorpion. It almost feels like, what does that have to do with anything? Of course we wouldn't. And then he goes on to say, of course not. And if you know to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Because it's the Holy Spirit in us that if we pray for the new 300C car that we want to see in our driveway, we start praying, God, we would like a new car, we would like a new car, the Holy Spirit wells up within us and says, you know, that pinto down the road will work for him, God. Just give him that pinto down the road. That, that will work for them. And we're praying a 300C, a 300, oh, God, 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 God. But the Holy Spirit knows the will of God and knows what we need. So the Holy Spirit in us filters those things for us. The secret here is telling us, you may ask for a fish. He might give you a loaf of bread. He's not going to give you something wrong, something bad. 
He's not going to give you a scorpion like it says. He's going to give you something good. It might not be what you asked for, but it's going to be what he knows you need. And the Holy Spirit is that filter that helps us pray exactly according to God's will. The Holy Spirit will filter our request. God will weigh our request in light of what's best for us and the situation and will always respond to the persistent prayers of his people. You know what usually ends up happening is the longer we pray for that 300C, that 300, and you can tell I really want a 300. Anyway, that certain type of car the Holy Spirit over and over again, we're persistent, we're persistent. All of a sudden, we start asking, okay, well, 300C, I guess I really don't need a 300C. And we start praying according to God's will. He starts changing that desire within us. Philippians 2, 12 through 13 says, Dear friends, you will you always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I am away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Now listen to this, verse 13. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. God is always working in you to give you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So why did we stop praying for everything? The problem often lies in that breakdown of communication versus action when I'm asking for a 300C and I'm getting the Pinto. Do they even make Pintos anymore? Probably not, okay. Maybe I should say something that, a Ford Escort, okay? We ask God for we ask God one time for one thing to happen one certain way. God ignores us or does a completely different thing than what we ask for as if he's not even listening to our prayer, and we're done. We shrug our shoulders and say, well, fine. Why bother asking if I'm not going to get what I ask for? Oh, nobody wants to say that, do they? But that's what we've done. That's what we've done. We've asked God one time for one thing, one certain way. It didn't happen the way we thought it was supposed to happen, and we're done. We shrug our shoulders. Why bother asking then? Or I, I hear this one out of Christians all the time. God's already got everything set in motion. He's going to do things just the way he wants to do them anyway. Why do we need to ask for things? Well, I don't know anywhere where that's found in the Bible. Over and over again in the Bible, I see persistence and praying and God moving by the hand of his people. So either you've shrugged your shoulders and said, eh, he's going to do the things he wants to do anyway, or he didn't, never answers prayers the way I want them answered. But your faith can't be developed in any other way than by prayer. Hope cannot rise within you if you give it nothing to hope for. And if you can't trust God to answer your prayers, how can you say you love him? And what are the three that 1 Corinthians 13 says are the most important? 
faith, hope, and love. What's left of our Christian life without these three? Jesus warned us in Luke 18, the parable of the persistent widow. Do you know the story? The persistent widow that went before the unjust judge and kept asking him, these people are after me, these people are after me, do something, do something. And he finally pulls his little robe, you know, pulls his hair and says, oh, I wasn't even going to do anything, but this widow keeps bugging me. Let's just do what she's asking to get her out of our courtroom, basically. And down at the bottom there, in that verse, verse 6, let's pick it up at verse 6 of Luke 18. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? And I pondered that and pondered that scripture. When the Son of Man comes back, how many will he find still praying how many in the church are just gonna be fending for themselves i can take care of this i don't need to pray that's what that scripture is talking about that shameless persistence is what god asked of us ask me for anything ask me for everything don't stop asking don't stop seeking Don't take care of yourself. Let me take care of you. How many will still be praying when he comes back? Again, our reasoning is it's either too selfish to ask for, it's too small to bother God with, or it was my problem that put me in this state, so I better just take care of it myself. So let's just look at these three thoughts. It's too selfish. James 4. Here's the scripture that most people use to convince themselves or others that what they're asking God for, they shouldn't be because it's too selfish. James chapter 4, verse 3 says, When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasure. I mean, For some of you, isn't that what you were thinking when you were writing down those three requests right at the beginning? When I said, write down what you'd like to ask God for right now or what you'd like to have right now? Wasn't you thinking, I I shouldn't ask for this. Shouldn't ask for this. But Matthew Henry's commentary lists these wrong motives. See, that's why it's so important. You don't You don't just pull a scripture out of context. You read it in the context, and you study that scripture in its context. And Matthew Henry focuses on what those wrong motives are. He defines them. Selfish ambitions. Strong's Concordance defines this as placing self-interest ahead of what the Lord declares is right 
or what is good for others. Like a mercenary, self-seeking, acting for one's own gain regardless of the discord and strife it causes others. A selfish ambition is placing what we want above what we know the Lord is saying is right. That we're a wrong motive is a lovers of pleasure. The context refers here to loving pleasure more than loving God. Loving pleasure more than loving God. And also the wrong motive here is desiring honor, power, and riches. This is the epitome of Satan's downfall. This is removing God from his throne and setting yourself up on his throne. That's what these wrong motives are talking about. That's the definition of wrong motives. So let me read that again. The verse says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with a self-interest ahead of what God says is right. You're asking for something you love more than you love God. You're asking for something that's going to remove God from his throne and set yourself up to receive all the power, glory, and honor. Now, as a Christian, is that in your heart when you're asking for things? Are those wrong motives at all in your heart? No. Not if you're a follower of God. Is there anything that I would request that I want more or would love more than God? Or that I would want knowing that God doesn't want me to have it. Knowing that God wouldn't want me to have it. Or would I ever ask for something that would remove God from the throne of my heart and place me there? No. So the scripture, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you can spend what you get on your own pleasures. Again, I don't believe if you're following God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, loving him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, you could even ask amiss, especially when you have the Holy Spirit in you filtering those requests. It's just not possible. So if that scripture tries to stop you from asking God for something, stop it. It's not happening. It's not possible. I trust God. I trust the Holy Spirit that if I ask for something amiss, the Holy Spirit's going to present it right before God. So sure, I might ask for a, a 300C Chrysler, 300C silver with the pearl interior. But the Holy Spirit is going to filter that and ask for exactly what I need for my time. Because there's nothing in my heart, even if I was to ask for that Chrysler 300C, that I would love that more than God. I wouldn't love that car more than God. That's absurd. I wouldn't try to place myself on God's throne by sitting in my car. There's, I wouldn't try to hurt somebody with my car. You know, if you just think those things through. So it's too selfish? Come on. Think about, here, I had somebody tell me this once, that 
I was being too selfish when I asked God for a front row parking spot when I go to the mall, especially when it's raining or snowing. Now think about it. I, I enjoy asking for a front row parking spot in the mall, especially at Christmas time, snowing, and I want to put the cute shoes on so I don't want to, you know, run through all the slush to get up to the mall entrance. And so I ask. Usually by the time I'm pulling into the mall entrance, I'm already, thank you, Jesus, for a front row parking spot right in front of the door I need to go into to get to the sale racks I need to, you're going to lead me to, that I can be the best steward of everything you give me, and I find that front row parking spot. And somebody was with me, I don't even remember who it was, and they said, that's just plain selfish. I said, really? I believe in a God who wants to do good to those who love him. I serve God with all my heart. What's wrong with that? If he don't want me to have it, he won't open one up. Will I still love him? Yes. But I'm not going to get if I do not ask. So I ask. And there's no way if I line that up with the definitions we just read that that is a wrong motive. It, it doesn't line up that way. So, for it to be too selfish, eh. come on. Let's look at it. It's too small. I can't ask because it's too small. The nozzle on the starch bottle was small. But that thing still, 25 years later, is, is in the top three, or at least the top ten, of miracles God has performed in my life. That nozzle on that can of starch. But we want to say, oh, God has bigger things to worry about. I'm not going to ask him for that. I'll take care of it myself. That is a slippery slope of self-dependence where you constantly will begin to just take care, fend for yourself, fend for yourself, and leave God out. Let me ask you, as a parent, do you like being left out and seeing your child go without when you have the power to help? Yet they refuse to ask because, well, the problem's not big enough. Selah. Let's just pause and think about that. Could you imagine having that conversation on the phone with them? Come on, the problem's not big enough? I'd surely like to help you with a whole bunch of little things when I have the power to do it. It's too small? It's not true. There's nothing too small. Isaiah 30, 18 in the Amplified Version says, Therefore, the Lord earnestly waits, expecting, looking, and longing to be gracious to you. And therefore, he lifts himself up. He like perches himself on the edge of his throne looking for those that he can help and be merciful to, show loving kindness to, blessed, happy, fortunate to be envied are all those who earnestly wait for him, who expect and look and long for him to do good. To them. 
God is looking and longing for those that he can bless, fulfill needs for. God wants to be good to you, but you have to be expecting him to move in your life. Thank him for every little thing. Think about it this way. I had to learn how to thank him for every little thing. Even that person that's driving 15 miles an hour in front of me when it's a 25, and I usually like driving 40 in that 25, even though I have to repent. No, I really try to abide by the lands, the law of the land. But anyway, the person driving 15 miles an hour, I've had to teach myself to thank God for that. Thank you, God, that you put this person here to slow me down. I could have been speeding when I shouldn't be speeding. Thank you, God, that for some reason you want to hold me off from getting to point A, point B a little too soon or, or whatever. I, I trust you, and I thank you for that. I thank you for the construction workers that have all of us stopped in this traffic for a half an hour. I don't understand why, but I trust you have your hand in it. To me, there are no coincidences. For me, I choose to believe in an eternal big God who can take care of all of us, can direct us at all times, is everywhere, is all-knowing, is all-sufficient, all-powerful, and there's no, oh, hey, what just happened to James down there? I didn't want him to go that way. God knows. Put a hold on James over there. Okay, continue to move Alice over here. Go her. No, you know what? She needs to take her right there because she's going to run into this person down here. I want her to go this way. Yeah, James, keep him sitting there a little bit longer. He needs to sit there a little longer. That's okay. I don't believe there's coincidences, and I get so upset when I hear Christians giving more glory to coincidences than they do to God. I would rather give, if you choose to believe in coincidences, good for you, whatever, but I'd rather give God the glory than a coincidence. Isn't that a strange thing that that happened? Isn't that odd? I don't know what happened, but do you know, this happened to me out of the blue. I don't know where this just check just came in the mail. Isn't that odd? No, I believe it's God. It's not odd, it's God. You're almost there. So for me, I choose to thank God for all those little things I might not ever have the answer to. Don't know why it's happening, but thank you, God, because he's eagerly wanting, wanting to do good, looking for those he can show his goodness to. And in order to believe God for the big things, we have to trust him with the small things and we have to be thanking him for the small things because this is how our faith grows. This is how that hope begins to grow. That expectancy builds up in us. When we start thanking God for those little things, we start expecting a little bit bigger things. God, now I know you, you used to do this back here, so I know you can do this now. So I'm going to keep praying and keep asking because this something bigger is going to be happening. This something, something bigger is going to come. So too small, mm-mm, it's not possible. 
That's the only way your faith is going to grow. Keep asking, keep believing, keep thanking, keep expecting. And then the third thing, it's my problem. It's my problem. I did it. I got us into this. Oh, come on. We've all done it. Made a wrong choice or a series of wrong choices that landed us in a situation. Well, now what? Guilt will tell you that you can't ask God to help you when you are the one that got you there in the first place. Haven't you heard that thought before? Don't you dare ask God for that. You, you caused this. You better fix this. I've heard that one over and over again before in my mind. You fix this. Let me ask you. I know I'm really bugging the parents today, but let me ask you. If your son or daughter was driving too fast on the highway, lost control of their vehicle, ended up in the ditch. Let me ask you, would you expect your son or daughter to call you immediately and ask you for help? And wouldn't you jump up and run to their help? Or would you sit on the phone and say, well, you got yourself there in the first place, get yourself out and hang up the phone? God don't, it doesn't matter to God. He knows us. <laughs> if anybody knows us, God knows us. He knows we're going to make wrong choices. But he doesn't expect us not to run to him when we do. He does expect us, run to me, run to me. Cast your burdens on me. I care for you, he says. 1 John 1, 8 through 10 says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. But if we claim we have not sinned or will never sin, we're a liar. We make his word out to be a lie in us. Oh, God might ask you to do something. He might ask you to pay for something. He might ask you to change a behavior. But he doesn't ever expect us or even want us to try to do life on our own. If that's what he wants, why did he send his son to die for us? Why did he record examples throughout history of his help and his guidance? Why did he send us the Holy Spirit? He does not want us to do life without him. Now, I like verse, or 1 John chapter 3. says at verse 21, Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. See, I like this verse. If our hearts do not condemn us, I believe is a direct parallel to that scripture we started with about asking with wrong motives. So if you're checking your heart, there's no wrong motives in there, my heart does not condemn me, then I know I will receive from God anything I ask because I am going to keep his commands and do what pleases him. Who is it that puts 
the desire and the power inside of you to do what pleases him? It's Holy Spirit. God does that. If our hearts do not condemn us, we can ask God for anything because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. So the excuse I can't ask God for that, remember that our main point throughout this whole series has been the best defense against excuses is an offensive line of whys. The only notable why question I could come up with for this excuse is why not? Why not ask God for this or that? Why not ask God? Why not? So when you feel like you can't ask God for, fill in the blank, ask why not? Get tenacious about it. Why not? Why can't I ask God for this or that? I've checked my heart. There's no wrong motives in there. Some might say it's selfish, but I, I, checked, I checked my heart. I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit's praying through me to God and will pray according to his will. Why not ask God for this or that? 1 John 5, 14 says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears us. Whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. Remember, asking according to his will is the Holy Spirit's job. You just ask. Shamelessly persisting and asking, asking, asking. Keep asking, keep asking, keep asking. And keep asking. So let me wrap up this series with two final thoughts. Let me see if I can put this up here. Can you flip that little switch back there, that little button? Here was the six excuses. I can't forgive them. I can't give more. I can't tell that. I can't change now. I can't commit to one more thing, and I can't ask God for that. Well, see that I highlighted and underlined. All six of those is imperative to our Christian walk. We have to be a forgiving people, a giving people, people who tell others of the good news of Jesus. We have to be a changing people all the time crucifying the flesh. We have to be a committed people to God and to each other, to the advancement of the gospel. And we have to be a people that constantly are asking God, asking God, asking God. Those six things are imperative to our Christian walk. And you thought they were just six random excuses. We have to be forgiving, giving, telling, changing, committed, and constantly asking. The second thing I want you to notice is every one of those excuses start with, I can't. You're right. You can. But God can. God can. 
place his forgiveness in you so that you can forgive others. He can give you that generous heart. He can give you the power to tell others. He can give you the power to change. He can change you from the inside out. He can put such a devotion in you, the committed devotion in you to loving others and loving him. And he can fulfill everything you ask of him. You're right. I can't, but he can. Can you switch that back for me? Thank you. I want to close out today with time, obviously, for prayer. I want us to begin praying for everything again. I want us to begin praying for everything, starting with those three things you circled at the beginning of this message. Check them. Are they too selfish? Did you check your heart? The wrong motives? Are they there? If they're there, cross it off. If it's not, why not ask? Why not ask? He's eagerly perched at the edge of his throne looking to do good to those that are waiting and expecting him to do good. But if you're not expecting, if you're not hoping, if you're not asking, what's there to do? So let's start by praying for everything, trusting the Holy Spirit will filter our request for us. Thank him for everything by praying for everything and thanking him for everything. Our faith will begin to grow. Our confidence that he hears us will increase. Our hope that God is always working on our behalf will rise within us. So let's close in prayer. Kevin, if you can, start that altar music. I want you to feel comfortable to get up, pray out loud, get loud if you want, get quiet if you want, hold on to those prayer requests, lay them down at the altar, whatever you want to do. But I want to use the last few minutes that we have, and let's begin praying for everything. Father, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that you give us such a simple message that should be able to strip away all that uh, self-fulfilling pride that's within us, Lord, that keeps us from asking you for everything. Thank you, God, that you desire to do good to us, that you're waiting to give good gifts to us. All we need to do is ask. Ask. So, God, right now that we just trust your Holy Spirit to begin rising up within us, praying with us, and filtering our requests to you, God, that we will pray according to your will and those things, Lord, that are pleasing to you. But, God, we're not going to believe the lie any longer that, that these requests are too selfish or too small or it was our problem to start with. We refuse to, to live in a life, a Christian life, that's chained to not even ask you for everything. 
God, how can we walk in the victorious life, the Zoe life you call us to, if we're not even asking for you to intervene? So we ask right now, God, intervene. Interrupt our life. Interrupt this day. Come and and have your way, Lord. Let your kingdom come today. Establish your kingdom here like it is in heaven. Lord, that is our faith is, Lord, that substance of things that we hope for. Let faith begin to grow today in us. Let that faith begin to anchor us into eternity, knowing that, Lord, we have the confidence to call on you and to ask for things. And you will be the good God, the good heavenly Father that will give to us exactly what we need. When we ask, we trust you. We have confidence in you. We love you, God. And so our job is only to keep asking and keep asking and keep asking. That shameless persistence. Help us to be persistent in our prayers. Let the lessons we learn today stay with us. Help them to continue to grow in us, ever increasing our faith, ever growing that hope and that expectancy that you will, you want to be good to us and give us good things. Have your way, Lord. Have your way. Do that. Just begin to ask God right now for those things that are on your list or just anything else that maybe the Holy Spirit's popped into your mind right now. Just begin to call out those things and ask God for those things.
God, we trust you. We love you. Lord, and we'll continue to seek you and ask you for everything. Forgive us, God, that we we turned away from that first love and that first baby-like expectancy, childlike expectancy that we're going to ask for everything and know that you'll just take care of everything. God, we ask that you help by your Holy Spirit turn our hearts back to that childlike faith that asks expects, hopes, longs, and is thankful for every little thing you do. Continue to grow that faith in us and that hope rises within us. Have your way, God. Have your way in our lives, in this church, and in this city, God. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.